0: Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. All right, welcome today. We have a very special guest on the podcast, Dr. Jeremy Perigo. He has not only studied and taught on worship, but he has been in the nations. Uh, leading movements of worship and prayer, and so we have a lot of exciting things to, to talk about today, about worship and about the nations, about music, and it's going to be an exciting conversation. So I'm I'm very excited and honored to have him today. Look, if you're new to the Presence Pioneers podcast, welcome. We are all about equipping presence-centered communities to worship and pray. Night and day, and so we believe God's presence changes everything. And so we want to equip you if you're a part of a house of prayer or a burn community or a church that's passionate about prayer and worship and revival. We want to help you as intercessors, worshipers, lovers of Jesus, leaders uh, to host the presence of God right where you are. And so we provide Bible teachings and conversations and interviews like this to help you and equip you. So please subscribe if you're not yet. We're on Apple and Spotify and all the major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. You can also visit our website at PresencePioneers.org, where you can subscribe for email updates every time we release a new episode. And of course, you can learn more about our ministry up there on the website as well, PresencePioneers.org. All right. Well, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Super awesome to to be with you and just, yeah, kind of see what God does. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome, man. So you... Were formerly the head of theology, music, and worship programs at the London School of Theology. Yeah, you so spent we time in the Middle East. Yeah, uh, now you're in Iowa <laughs> <laughs> at a uni- Dort University there, yeah. and uh, and you and I, I think, initially maybe connected. I, I recall a beach house in Virginia Beach for a Burn twenty four seven summit.
1: Yeah, like 10 or 11 years ago, I think, right? Yeah, it was, it was quite a long
0: time ago. And so, man, it's just it's, it's been cool. I, I, I'm excited to have you on today because you've been sort of in what I would consider the typical world of a lot of the people that tune into the, our podcast, which is the charismatic worship prayer movement, but you're also in the academic world. And so that's kind of a neat place to be. And sometimes those things seem at odds, I guess, maybe even in some things I've heard, especially from some of the um, more charismatic world. And so Mm -hmm. anyway, I'm excited to have you on and to get your perspective on what God's doing and maybe help us bring some wisdom and and things to the worship and prayer movement. So before we dive in, or I guess to start our diving in, I would love to hear your story. You know, just kind of give us a flyby. Yeah. You're kind of in a weird you're kind of in a weird little niche area. I mean, worship <laughs> the nations, the Middle East like uh, you know, that's kind of that's kind of cool. So
1: what's a little bit of your background? What's some of your story, man? Yeah, I grew up in Lafayette, Indiana. I was a part of a assembly of God church. My parents were both strong believers, neither of them in in full-time ministry or anything, but very active in church. And so that was a part of my heritage, you know, and like growing up and And our church was a pretty early adapter to kind of modern worship, and so by the time I was, I think ten, I was playing in a worship band, playing saxophone on Sunday nights, and I didn't get a microphone. I didn't get a microphone or anything. They didn't. (laughs) I wasn't good enough to be heard. But but but, you were up there. (laughs) I was up there, and you know, I think it was probably when I was twelve or thirteen, and started to learn to improvise that. My youth pastor at the time, who was, you know, one of the worship leaders, and then the associate pastor who's worship leader, they heard me play something and they're like, oh, that sounds good. And they brought me up in the middle of a service and just let me play a little spontaneous, you know, little sax solo, and, and then went kind of back into kind of sung worship. And so I think I was just so blessed to have uh, mentors, pastors, leaders, parents who encouraged me to do to engage in music and open some doors for for me and i think that's just again we're not we're not preaching yet but i think that's that's something that we as leaders as worship leaders need to continually think about and i know that's hard when you want you want to record your own sounds and your own songs your own albums your own you know but even something like this a podcast that can help equip the next generation is Something on my heart, and that's really what's led probably the last 20 years of my life has been training and equipping kind of the next generation all over the world. You know, when you're my age, you're an old worship leader, <laughs> Matthew. Hey. I know you don't want to hear that, but but oh yeah, yeah. In, in many churches it is kind of teenagers, young adults, college age students, and so I think part of our role is is fathering that next generation and and creating space for them and encouraging them, keeping them accountable and helping them grow. Um, and so, yeah, that's the last 20 years after, after kind of, yeah, undergrad, I I moved to Virginia beach and got connected there. And that was kind of when the burn was beginning to start and even, you know, some of the early 24 seven prayer and IHOP was coming. So I, as a worship leader at that time and kind of a charismatic stream, that was, where i connected and so at at regent university I, i teach there some now too took their worship program kind of a master's in theology and worship that started to open the door a little bit more about worship in the nations you know about what that looks like and then also just the study theology of of worship and kind of those two things and i think it was there when that that started to refine i knew i was called to worship and lead and play and but that started to refine a little bit of who, maybe what my unique perspective or unique you know, vocation is, which is, is kind of that collision of, of academic world, kind of the theology of worship, the nation's kind of cross-cultural ministry, and yeah, and worship all around, around that. And so, yeah, we, from, I got married from Regent. Um, we met there in a, a missions class and went to the same small group, my wife, Angela, and I then moved to the Middle East and helped pioneer prayer and worship there, and worked with Burn and Ywam and literally any any group and every group, cessationist Koreans and <laughs> you know charismatic Iranians, and we just gather the body of Christ from different perspectives, different cultures, even lots of theological disagreement, but around both the the presence of God to encounter God together for ourselves but also to pray for the exaltation of jesus in these nations where jesus isn't maybe known in the same way that he is in other places or has never been known for the fullness of who he is so that yeah really led to the the trajectory of of most of my life which is even my research is kind of in that like worship from middle eastern christians and things like that so yeah that's i mean that's the quick window that's amazing yeah Yeah, that's a
0: that's an awesome journey. We've got people. Most of our listeners are in the United States, some in Canada and UK and stuff, but mostly the Western world, of course. And many are trying to do what you did in the Middle East, but in this context, and you know, it's hard here. But I can't imagine how hard it was (laughs) where you were. Talk about a presence pioneer. I mean, you were pioneering (laughs) in the Middle East. I mean, there there's just not as many believers in general, which I'm, I'm sure is is the biggest challenge. And then to find musicians singers and that kind of thing what was that like man
1: (laughs) yeah i think i mean a couple things come to mind i think one is knowing almost in every setting there's been some other pioneers before you like you right and i think that's one as americans we can often this is my vision this is my ministry and totally what we did yeah what we did in in the middle east was brand spanking new like no one had done 150 hours of worship nonstop since maybe like some of the monks in Constantinople or something you know yeah some <laughs> of the monastic communities so brand new for the modern era but at the same time there had been people gathering for prayer there had been pastors church planters who were doing lots of worship and prayer meetings and so in a sense God had already set some things up for us to walk into even as pioneers and so for us, it was always like this idea of where are we called to like stretch and then where are we called to serve? Um, and so I played in so many boring, uninspired worship gatherings that were there for me to just serve pastors, leaders, mission groups, serve their needs, serve their desires. And that then fueled a build a really strong relationship so then when we d- would do 150 hours of nonstop, they they'd invite their whole church and that's the place really we we stretched people in the you know in the gifts of the spirit and you know leading a two-hour set not just you know five songs on a sunday morning but leading you know having a turkish worship leader have to lead two hours and that began to stretch them and creativity and so i think as we were pioneering those were the two things like how do we serve the local culture which sometimes means setting our own agenda or vision you know to the side which is really hard to do <laughs> when that's right. what we've moved there to do and at the same time though that's that that serving is what fueled the relationships that i wasn't there just to start my own you know thing or with angela you know her and i but we were serving other missionaries serving local pastors and then out of that relationship i mean i think it really yeah it took years but now still there's nonstop prayer and worship in turkey there's houses of prayer and there's things going on in wow. northern iraq and eastern europe that even though we've now been physically gone other than you know short term trips for we've been physically gone for 6 7 years that stuff is still going and more more local than ever um yeah. you know more indigenous languages and original songs than ever too and so yeah i think that that was always the tension i think sometimes it's actually easier in a non-majority Christian culture to gather Christians. <laughs>
0: like, right. Like there, they there's kind of a, end together kind of thing? Totally.
1: Like there's a hunger, yeah. there's a desperation, there's a need for community. Yeah. Um, that, that the church is truly family, not just in the rhetoric or just in the language, but the church, you know, you've become a Christian, your mom and dad kicked you out of the house. If you're, you know, former Muslim, often, that's not just once in a while, that happens a lot. And so that, you re- that is your family. The church is your family. And so you, yeah. you join everything going on. And so I think that, in a sense, in some ways, there were less things competing for, you know, there wasn't 15 conferences this weekend in, in the local city. Right, there was right, right. W- one, one this month or this year even. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Well, I want to get into that indigenous worship sound you talked about, even in the, you know, those worshiping in their own language. But before we before we move on from sort of this topic, is there are there any like cool testimonies or like highlight moments? I mean, obviously you said there's communities of worship and prayer that are still flourishing there. That's an amazing testimony uh in itself yeah. and that's enough, but I just didn't know if there is there any like cool stories or highlights from your time there that maybe you could share?
1: There's so many, there's so many, but I know this is a long podcast, but not a super long one. So, I mean, just right. just a, a few things that come to mind. I think we had amazing um, YWAM Fire and Fragrance team a number of times come and and work with us. And I can think of one time, it was was towards the end of their trip. They were all a little exhausted. They had been pouring out. I mean, we had some fiery, passionate worship gatherings, and they gathered the city. But this one was just like a four-hour worship, kind of mini-burn worship service and and everyone was a little exhausted and so the group that played you know one of the guys hadn't played a lot and so he knew two chords on the guitar and so he was just b minor and g for two hours and so the people <laughs> that did come ended up you know it was like the third hour so they went out to get some water and so the room went from like 20 people to really this guy and this girl and my, myself and they were they were leading and i was just kind of there supporting, facilitating, praying. Um, And they just were, you know, kind of B minor, you know, Jesus, you love us, G, you know, (laughs) we love you. Kind of that just very simple, nothing, I mean, in some sense, super profound, but nothing so profound. And up came this, yeah, this man, woman into the, into the kind of worship space that we were using kind of conference room. And he, he sat there for a few minutes, probably five, 10 minutes, just stared up you know, kind of at the ceiling as this B minor G was going. And then as, as he, his, his wife or girlfriend left and he, he then stopped Well, I was sitting by the door and and we talked just for a couple minutes. And he's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, well, we're just singing. We're praying. He's like, are you meditating? And I'm like, well, sort of, we're, you know, we're thinking about Jesus. We're, we're looking at looking to him. We're singing songs about him. And he's like, yeah, kind of, thought so he's like i don't this is all in turkish he was like i don't speak english so i didn't know what they were singing but i just saw this picture of of jesus you know i'm a muslim we, we know about jesus but i just saw this picture of jesus on his throne and his heart just pouring out love as you were as you were singing and i'm like wow. yeah, that's that's kind of what we were praying for and he said well the week before i had a dream about heaven's gates being open i mean this was literally within two minutes he was just pouring this out i saw heaven's gate open and i was I, I saw jesus kind of sitting on on a couch in this room in heaven and he said come 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 sit with me he's like what do you think that means and i'm i mean oh again i don't, you don't that's you don't need three years of apologetics and kind of studying islamics to know like god was moving on this this man's heart and i just said yeah it sounds like jesus says He's wanting you to come into a relationship, and so yeah, I got to pray with them, and so in that atmosphere of, of worship, of prayer, like again, these guys weren't the greatest musicians ever. They were, they had the greatest hearts. They were there to serve. They were there to just lavish their love on Jesus and receive His love. This man, you know, was caught up into a vision and and had a moment too with someone like me or others just in the room to talk to him and to to pray with them, and so that that isn't a rare story. Like there's there's dozens mm. of others where particularly around kind of that worship as both proclamation, sharing who God is, what he's doing, um, but also that atmosphere of of experiencing the Spirit's activity, of pouring out his love, of showing visions of dreams and through the gifts. That's more more and more common. And I think I've seen particularly missionaries, even those from cessationist camps or those from, you know, uh, denominations or, or expressions that haven't really been warm to the, you know, they've been more about passionate gospel proclamation and apologetics. More of them have come into, yeah, the place of prayer, either for themselves, because they're a little bit burnt out and haven't seen a lot of fruit or out of a desperation to see God move in the way that we see in scripture through the miraculous, yeah. through other things. And so that, that prayer room has been a furnace all over the world. I'm sure some of the other podcasts you're, you're tapping into that, but so many people today are seeing that collision of, of kind of mission yeah. and worship. Yes.
0: Amazing. That's awesome. I love it. We, we <laughs> say God's presence changes everything on this podcast, you know, and that's such, such a beautiful example of, yeah. of how that happens. Amazing. That's how, I mean, it changed my life, you know, summer, summer camp right after I graduated high school came at, you know, extended time of worship and, and God called me into ministry, shifted the trajectory of my life, you know, in, in, in those moments. I love, yeah. I love those stories. It's, it's very personal for me. I mean, so, that's
1: what worship like, right. That's what worship is. If we're really encountering God, if there, there really is this relational, like moment where we're speaking to God, he's speaking to us, which is kind of the basis of worship and prayer. Like it yeah. should like shift us. It should challenge right. us. It should change us. It should call us out yes. of our sin. And so I think yes. some of us are now starting to think, oh, wow, this is worship. This is real. God's here. We're talking with him. He's here. So let's, yeah. let's, let's see him do something in us.
0: Yes. Amazing.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, it's so interesting.
0: You know, you mentioned indigenous languages, you know, worship that's happening yeah. there in the in the Middle East when you were there. Uh, I was talking to Jose Diaz for another podcast episode this week, and he was talking about what's happening in the nations that he's visited, seeing groups that are worshiping, prayer ministries, things like that. And one of the things he commented on was how much of the worship was copied from America yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how oh, so many places he went to, They're singing Bethel songs or they're singing Hillsong and that kind of thing. And so I'm curious on your thoughts on that, because your forte seems to be cross-cultural ministry and worship. And and I think Jose's desire and prayer, and I think what he feels like the Holy Spirit even is wanting to do was to awaken indigenous worship in the people groups of the earth. So Yeah, I would love for you to speak into that too, because you probably have a, a, a particularly you know, unique perspective on, on that idea of indigenous worship. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's such a good question. I think it's, sometimes we just think about that in terms of, oh, that's for... (laughs) that that's for istanbul turkey or that's for you know south africa or that's for congo but i actually think the question is about you know i'm in iowa right now i'm like there at one like i know not joe's just in lafayette indiana like so much of that copying and pasting of worship isn't just or worship karaoke kind of stuff isn't just <laughs> a worship tribute band. That's another like a Hillsong tribute band, Bethel tribute right. band. That's like, isn't is, is just yeah for for those from other cultures, but also yeah Westerners. You know, African American churches, white churches, multicultural churches. It does take a lot to kind of start to create your own sound, like to cultivate that. I think I've used the food analogy a lot, like there's a reason like why Starbucks and McDonald's are literally everywhere in the world. And you can get the same thing. Like people, it's some level like that. Like you want to go into Beijing yep. and get a Starbucks or Istanbul and it tastes the same. I mean, I'm, I'm much more third wave, so I, we won't go there. I'm, I, I'm not a big, I've, I had Starbucks once this year and regretted it. But no, <laughs> no, but, but, but the reality is, 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 there is something about these global songs these songs you know Chris Tomlin Bethel you know there's a global corpus of of hymns and stuff from the 70s 80s and 90s too that that churches still sing some of the you know draw me close to you from the vineyard there's something yep. powerful in those moments that because we're so interconnected now that what god's doing in Pensacola or what god's doing in Reading or what god's doing in in Sydney can't can be experienced globally and i think i think one to before we like go to other places and say stop singing hillsong and tomlin which is actually sometimes what happens in these uh, songs right. i think that's that's one area like to to recognize these some of these leaders these worship leaders arab worship leaders turkish worship, latin america like they're picking these songs because they have deep meaning to them like they they met the Lord through these songs, and they're translating, you know, "Surrounded" and singing that because the whole world needs to sing, you know, sing "Surrounded," not just Upper Room in Dallas or you know. So I think yeah. I think one to recognize that the spirit, the the global outpouring of the Spirit means there's going to be some global songs that we all share and we all sing and to celebrate that. But I think Amen. I think the flip side is probably where each of us you know again whether we're serving cross-culturally whether we're raising up a house of prayer in in Iraq or Alabama like to ask ask the question like God what and ask people around like what is the, the local sound what's what what music do people listen to um, and it's probably not most people don't listen to four chord you know slightly Country rock. modern rock. Yeah, most yeah. people don't listen to that. Um, at the same time, it is it is a style of music that can kind of gather everybody. And so, I mean, I think there's a a lot to either in the arrangement of songs for local churches, like, you know, instead of downloading the 40 backing tracks to, to make it sound exactly like Hill Song, you know, maybe you have an eighties rock guitar player who can, you know, who's got the long hair and can shred like it's okay to bust out more love, more power and have him just wail. Like that's his gifts. That's his, his offering. That's actually meaningful for the church. He's that he's been a part of for 30 years. Again, does he need to learn to play, you know, some more modern song? Does he need to learn to grow? And so I guess for me, one of the things over the last 10 years has been trying to come alongside artists and communities and birth original songs, indigenous songs. And so you know, to try to be a midwife, like not to tell them it needs to sound more pop or it needs to sound more Turkish. Well, Turkish is just like it needs to sound more American. Well, what do you mean by it? Do you mean folk? Do you mean screamo? Do you mean hip hop? Do you mean jazz? Do you mean blues? Do you mean, you know, do you mean modern jazz? Do you mean classic jazz? Like, do you mean gospel? Gospel grind? Do you mean black gospel? So I think we can't also just look through one ethnic lens through music to recognize within all our cultures there is lots of different styles and approaches to to music um at the same time god's worthy of all those styles and yes. both the gospel should be proclaimed through all those the message of jesus should be proclaimed through all those music so that all people can hear but also that all of those styles are opportunities for individual people and communities to yeah, to speak to God, to experience His goodness, His presence through through that that art form too. And so, for for me, it's it's a sense of saying, okay, no, these groups, if if they've chosen to sing Tomlin and Hillsong and Bethel, like that's their community's choice. Like nobody's shoving that down their throat. And if they are, then that's wrong. But no, they're choosing to translate that. They're choosing to utilize that because it's it's a moment they can encounter God, but also what are local instruments that aren't being redeemed? What are local melodic forms, harmonic structures? And so I, I see in a lot of, after these songwriting workshops, I see a lot more fusion where you'll see a Saws player, you know, play play kind of an intro to, to a, a Bethel tune or, you know, one of the minor ones or something like play an intro to that. Um, or yeah, a, a fresh, you know, I've, I did this in Germany with, you know young people had a german rapper come in as we were doing kind of break every chain and like that was very appropriate for kind of 15 to 18 year old germans like that's what they're 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 listening to hip-hop more than anything else and so he just came and prayed kind of a mix of kind of intercession and prophecy around around that theme break every chain and it was for me, one of my favorite moments as a worship leader. Like it was in German, it was yeah, rhythmic and yeah, it just helped people break out into intercession for their city in a in a way that wouldn't have been if I just kept singing break every chain, break every in in, in in English. Yeah. And so right. using those kind of local local forms, local languages. And we saw that in, in Turkey in particular, like the burn originally started, you know, 80% English, but but if you'd go to one today, it would be 90% Turkish or Arabic or Kurdish. And so we saw that that shift. So also to recognize, yeah, you may end up singing singing this, these songs for the first few years. But, but yeah. if it's been eight or 10 years and you're still singing, yeah, these translated songs, if there hasn't been this indigenous expression, I wonder, are we holding back something that the spirit's trying to do? Or are we not partnering with the spirit? Because... When the spirit comes down, we sing new songs. I mean that's Paul like you yeah. don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the spirit so that you see you know so that you sing so again right. if 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 we're not singing those spiritual songs, those songs that the spirit inspires, yeah, we might not be fully walking out what 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 the spirit wants to do in those moments,
0: yeah, no, that's so good i i love that I love that perspective, and just to clarify in my conversation with Jose, he wasn't <laughs> bashing these place, places that are singing Bethel and Hillsong, but it just, it is that the desire exactly what you just expressed to see that uh, indigenous sound released as well. Would you just speak to specifically worship leaders, songwriters, musicians for a moment? And and that's not, I mean, we have all kinds of people that tune in that aren't just musicians and singers, but I just felt like even as, we, as I was preparing for this, that that maybe God was going to awaken something in the worship leaders, songwriters, musicians who are, who are tuning in. And so how, how could they begin to cultivate a uh, indigenous sound or a fusion of maybe what they've experienced, but maybe, maybe they lead worship on Sunday morning, but on Monday, they're listening to some other kind of music that's totally different. You know, how, how can they begin to, to do that? Any suggestions or, yeah. Encouragement. I
1: mean, I think one is it is to recognize it is kind of risky. It's risky <laughs> to sing your own song, like especially if it's the very first thing you've ever written. I, I haven't written a lot, and some of the stuff that I've written, I'd never want to sing in front of another person <laughs> other than just me and Jesus and devote you know, devotions or something. Like so I think that's it. Like you try back to that food analogy, you try a new recipe on your kids or your family like what is this this looks different it smells different it tastes different and and i think that's that's what the the safe thing is to take these top 25 ccli saw. So i was just looking at them today you know build my life <laughs> is one of build my life is one of those i use that all the time it's an awesome song that oh, if i'm yeah. leading in different denominations you can use it it's it's great like but if I, if i would use my one of my own songs in some of those contexts people wouldn't sing they wouldn't engage and I, I think so some of it is is recognizing it's a risk and also recognizing that the first time you kind of try whether that's a slightly different instrumentation or yeah a different song different style like people might not engage in the same way but that doesn't always mean don't don't keep doing it and I think that's, we have one bad experience with a new song or kind of a new approach. We have a staff meeting the next week. We're never going to do that again, you know, never going to do yeah. that again. Where actually, our people need to be discipled in how to, to grow just like we do. And so I think to help them understand, why do we sing new songs? Why do we sing local songs? Why do we sing, you know, a song that Matthew's written or a song Jeremy's written? Like, and I think that, that discipleship perspective is helpful. I think the other is the not comparing. Like if That's you good. and I would sit down together and it was the first time we'd ever written anything um, and we come out with a song and it's good enough that we sing at one of our churches or in a prayer room or something this, you know, this week, like we can't compare that song to a group like Hillsong who for what, 30, 40 years have been trying to write songs together. They, they right. teach songs. they, they have weekly gap, they have albums, like they their learning curve is a whole generation where if you and I just started this week, like this is step one and they're at step, you know, 40 or or yeah, or whatever. And so I think that's one of the key things for us as individuals and also for the communities we lead is like, okay, it's not gonna be as good as how great is our God being sung literally in every language for 10, 15, 20, 30 years it might be just for a moment it might just be for one service it might be for you know one moment in the prayer meeting and then we set that song to the side and never never do it again like but but that doesn't mean too like to stop writing it means again to grow and grow and grow and I think I think that kind of just discipleship piece is is sometimes what's missing particularly those of us from prayer movement charismatic like we get a spontaneous song and think that should be a top 25 CCLI song <laughs> where we need to craft it. We need to get with a couple other people. And you know what? That, that chorus does need a little work. There's a great melody there. Yeah, the spirit did in, inspire a part of this, but also the spirit can help us discern and craft <laughs> this into a song that you know we, we want to sing, sing again. And so I think that yeah. it, to know it's a risk is, is really, it is a risk to do something that's from your own heart to know that you know we can't also compare to these other big movements because it's gonna be it's gonna be different it it may not be as <laughs> as good as a as a hill song or a Bethel song, but it's it's good in a different way because it's an expression of what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart and in your community, and that's why yeah. it's worth still doing the the sound of your zip code, the sound of your city, the sound of your state, your region like that's worth hearing but it might just be for your city or for your region or for your your you know your 12 hour a week burn or something like it might be just yeah. just for that and so to be cool with that to say like god's worthy of me spending 10 hours on a song that i just do every once in a while in a prayer set he's yeah. totally worth you know totally worth that and also i'm worth that what he's doing in me is worth getting you know getting out there to my friends and my community that's so good. I think part of, the,
0: part of what you're speaking to is so, sort of the weirdness of the idea that a successful worship song is one that makes it into CCLI and goes viral, and everybody shares it on YouTube or whatever. Whereas I, I think some of the greatest songs, even that are viral, weren't written to go viral. You know what I mean? They were They were a moment of worship for an individual or for community yeah. and they were offered to the Lord or they were sung at a local church. And then maybe they were recorded and, and God breathed on it and, it and it took off or whatever, but that people would just do it as under the Lord, first of all, and then maybe to serve their community or, or, what, you know, their local church or whatever they're part of. I mean, even like Hillsong and Bethel are local churches, you know totally. what I mean? And that's, and so that's, they're,
1: they're singing yeah. those
0: songs in their churches.
1: Yeah. And, and if you listen to stuff, From them, you know, 20 years ago, either of those or even some of the early IHOP KC, like from what was produced maybe four or five years ago with Nashville producers versus what was just super raw. Now, I'm I'm a minimalist. I love the super raw. I'm a jazz musician by kind of background. So I love actually that that really raw stuff. Um, I did too. sometimes more than the soup, you know, I love the earliest Jason Upton stuff that's and, and still right. love yeah, his instrumentations. Anyways, that I think is worth worth mentioning. What you're what you're saying is like these churches feel a call from God to write songs. I mean, Hill Song even changed their name to Hill Song because they were called by God to write songs and right. and, and and influence that. Like I, I think that's Important to recognize and that they again, maybe some of our listeners. This is going to inspire them just to, to start doing that
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> But to recognize this is week one for you and you know, they're in, in yeah. year 40 or something so sure. it doesn't mean your song can't be like you're saying it doesn't mean your hard work and, and the spirits breath like that's Who knows what God could could do with that song and even the example? Yeah. I was saying the guy's just singing a spontaneous song B minor and G I love you, Jesus, Jesus, you love me. It transformed that, that man's life that had never really yeah. heard who Jesus was. And that's totally worth it. It's not a CCLI top 25, but it's, tr- it's transformed the eternal destiny of one guy. And that's pretty epic in terms of, of a successful yeah. song. <laughs> exactly. That's
0: amazing. Hey, I wanna I wanna shift gears just a little bit because I wanna ask you a question before we get to the end here. You know me, growing up in sort of the charismatic wing of Christianity, so to speak. uh, I heard phrases like that: seminaries are cemeteries, (laughs) and uh, and there was there was sort of this sometimes unspoken, sometimes spoken like that uh, pushback against formal education, seminary training, academia, and that that to have sort of true spirituality and true vibrancy to follow Jesus you needed to get out of your head and get to your heart, you know, and that kind of thing. And so what's your, what's your take on some of that? What would you say in response to some of those kinds of things? Because most of the prayer and worship movements connected to sort of the charismatic world and not everybody believes some of those things, but there's, there is sort of this unspoken like thing that you don't really have to get trained or study like, you know, the Holy Spirit's just going to give it to you in the moment. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, w- yeah. So, so give, give some perspective on that. I'm curious.
1: Yeah. I mean, so many thoughts. I mean, and feel free to like interrupt and, and take me a different direction if you want. I mean, theology is, is really the study of God, like mm-hmm. knowing God. And I think some of us have been afraid of that, that term or even theological studies, but at its heart, it's, wanting to understand who God is and who his world is and in a sense that's like all good theology should lead to good worship and all good worship should should help fuel our our knowing of God like both cognitive both cognitively and that emotional kind of experience. And I think I'll speak to the charismatics I mean so many of us just want to throw our brains at the door but we are thinking beings, we have a brain and we, we use that to speak even right now and to ask questions. And so to kind of love God with all of our mind, part of that, our heart, soul, mind and strength. Yeah. Essentially worship God with your brain, with your heart, with your emotions, with your life. Like, and so I think one of the reasons where we've seen, I mean, and you probably have friends like me that we're leading in prayer rooms. were We're traveling all over the world and they've, they've fallen away. And it was really they fell away on the big questions of life. You know, why does bad things happen to good people? That's the problem of evil. Theologians have been wrestling with that. Even before Jewish theologians, you know, Job, one of the first books written, is kind of wrestling with the problem of evil. And so I I think we do a disservice in discipleship by throwing our brain, you know, setting our brains like at the door and then coming into worship with, with just... Just our hearts. And I think that's why, you know, we see many people like they get these tough questions on human sexuality and and bad things happen to good people and and their faith just gets gets smashed. You know, they they've cried in worship, they've come to the altar, they've they've gone on trips, but they maybe haven't loved God with all their mind. And so hmm. I think that's there's a call to that group. To say, you know what? Let's let's read a few books on worship this year. Let's let's maybe not attend this, you know, super flowy conference, but let's you know take Tom Wright's The Lord's Prayer class, or you know, Inti Wright's Lord's Prayer class, or something like that. I've seen a hunger in in some of my friends, and that's why some of them, have, you know, studied and done degrees, and, and more and more, you're seeing more charismatics do master's degrees or phds and and particularly in studying worship on the flip side too though i think to cemetery cemeteries no seminaries like there needs to be a vibrant spirituality like where my the last place i was at my wife was kind of the dean of community in london and so as she came in i mean she she really shifted chapel to be an oasis, a place of encounter. And so students would sit lunch sometime just to press into the Lord. And these are, again, British academic theology students. These aren't, you know, wow. prayer, prayer, they're not prayer room people. Like, yeah. So for them to skip an, an hour to, to sing more, to, to sit at the altar, was revival. That was renewal. That was them getting a, a greater hunger for God. And I think where I'm at right now, Dort, I love that my role is both an academic teaching role, but I'm also helping lead the worship leaders who lead in chapel, lead Thursday night kind of worship nights. Um, they're involved with kind of a local house of prayer here too in the city. And so to, uh, what I love to see is is a collision of, of that, that we can love God with our minds, but also love him with our hearts. And I think that's that journey that we need, not just, oh, just bypass our mind and go straight to our heart or, or yeah. vice versa to say that these theologians, you know, aren't, aren't emotional beings too. And so, yeah, you're hitting on, on one of my areas of passion. Like how can we live at that center where we're, we're passionate about knowing God, knowing him with our emotions, knowing him with, with our heart, with our love, our affections, but also like why not continue to read about who God is, like who the father is, who, who the son is, who the spirit is. Yeah. I love it, man. As, as somebody
0: who's, uh, tends to be pretty analytical. And I like to research and read and think, you know, there's been times where I have felt even out of place in certain charismatic streams where I sit, where, you know, I would want to read, I'd want to study, I'd want to get to the bottom of things and go deeper on things, not, you know, deeper, even intellectually on things. And, uh, and so it's, it's very, you know, encouraging to me. I, I know that there is a, there is a stream of people, like you said, that are doing that and are also pursuing wholeheartedly the presence of God, revival, the the gifts of the spirit and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and I I think we need both as well, of course.
1: And, uh, and that, that was, that's been typical of a lot of renewal movements. A lot of revival movements have, have started at Bible schools, started at universities, or they, one of the fruits of those revivals was Bible schools or universities. Like it, and you you see that even from, you know, more modern things, Uh, There you know, Bethel and upper rooms doing a a school of ministry this year. And, you know, Brownsville revival at one point had, you know, 1500, almost 2000 students studying there and they had, you know, Dr. Michael Brown, like a a old Testament scholar. And so, I mean, like there, there has been throughout the history of renewal movements, like where either the spirit comes in a special as you know uh asbury had that in the late 70s my uncle was there yeah. just an outpouring of the spirit that in chapel looked like confession but downstairs there was a lot of crazy care from what my uncle who was you know who tells there's a lot of crazy charismatic, you know exorcism and prophetic gifts and and things that you know you don't hear about from from them but it was happening there and wow. so I think, yeah, that's, it is, you know, the university settings are places either for the spirit to be poured out in a, in a fresh way amongst, you know, this emerging generation, or in those churches or movements that are, you know, they, they want to see people trained, They want to see people grow in, in knowing who God is and knowing how to then yeah share that with others. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Man, this has been so good.
0: So good. I, I love it. Hey, do you have any, uh, you have any writings or books or music or any anything like that? That if people want to connect with you, is there any way to do
1: it? That do any of that stuff? Totally. I mean, the easiest stuff is to connect with me on social media. Twitter's okay. Jeremy Parago, Face Facebook. I'm active there. Dort.edu is kind of where I'm currently teaching. D o r d t.edu. I also teach a couple master's programs: Regent University in Virginia Beach, and also Northern Seminary. So. Again, if students wanting to do kind of master's level work to push this further, undergrad door, it would be a great place. Um, yeah. We can link to all that stuff too. Yeah, sweet. And I have yeah, music on Spotify under my name, kind of yeah, jazz and worship, that, that kind of mix. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm working yeah. on some more writing right now. And so hopefully in the next year or so, there'll be a few things coming out too. Amazing, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes.
0: People can Sweet. connect with you and all that. Look, man. Any any closing thoughts to worship and prayer communities and and those that are tuning into the podcast?
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that main theme that we brought up earlier about like just as as a worship leader, think about that sound of your church, your community, your prayer room. Think about what yeah. What are those instruments? What are those melodies? What is the heart cry of your city? And ask the Lord to birth some of those songs, whether that's, you know, prophetic. It could, yeah, it could be, could be a a spontaneous moment, but it also could be, take some intentionality, like take, gather. And I I would just say, like, in the age to come, all these different groups are going to be bringing their offerings to the Lord. And like, yeah, sure. It's great if you want to bring a Bethel song but also, I'd love to hear Matthew's song like or, or, or your, your region's song, your community, your tribe's song. And I'd love, to, I'd love to see more of that in the next few years where we're, yes, singing these great global songs, but also taking the time to kind of cultivate the worship that's in our own hearts and in our own communities.
0: Yeah, so good. Would you just say a quick prayer for those that are tuning in kind of
1: around that theme? Yeah, God, you're amazing. You're worthy of the worship of all nations, of all sounds, of all peoples. You're worthy of every rhythm, yeah. melody, instrument. You're worthy of new things being invented, electronica and banjo. Like you deserve yes. all of that unto your glory and every person, every tribe, every tongue, every language. And we mm-hmm. pray that those listening, Lord, would be stirred towards that, whether they live, yeah, whether they live in in Huntsville or whether they live in Harrisburg, whether they live in London, whether they live in Shanghai, that they would be stirred towards releasing the sounds of, of, of their city, of their community. And they would bring that as an offering to you. And that we know that you love that. You love our songs. You love our praises. And you also respond by pouring out your presence among us. And I pray in each of those listening, there would also be just a fresh outpouring of your spirit as, as we gather together, we love you, Jesus. And thank you for, for who you are. In Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy.
1: Awesome. See you, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in today. Look, if, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Uh, again, please subscribe if you're not subscribed yet. And if you're on Apple, if you could leave us a little rating or a review, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up. All those things help. Get the podcast out there in front of more people so that others can be encouraged and strengthened. We can see more worship and prayer explode all over the world. And don't forget God's presence changes everything.